divorce the cross of Jesus Christ from the way that you interact with people, the way that you talk with your boss, the way that you talk with your employees, the way you deal with your teacher or other uh, classmates, the way you deal with your family, however crazy or well-adjusted they might be. You can't divorce the cross and Jesus from that if you're a follower of Jesus. It has to inform the way you deal with relationships. Whether it's with a friend, a family member, or a romantic interest, relationships can be the best thing in your life, but they can also be the hardest. Today, Pastor Daniel encourages you to allow your faith to transform how you deal with the people in your life. You'll learn that the more you realize how God has loved and forgiven you, the better you'll be able to do that with others. That starting point sets the stage for health and growth. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of John, chapter 15, as he continues his message, The Function of Evangelism. I think deep down, we realize that there's a way to be human that is beyond what we're experiencing right now. And what I would tell you is that God wants to make you radiant, but the only way to be radiant is to abide in the message of who Jesus is, to abide in the reality. I mean, Jesus in John 15 uses the language that we need to abide in him as the vine, that he is the vine and we are the branches. And without him, we we can't do anything. We can't bear any fruit, you know, and God is glorified that we bear much fruit. And so evangelism is the telling forth of who Jesus is. And when you and I abide, then we become radiant. And I want to encourage you, it's not wrong to say, God, as I behold you, will you make me radiant? Will you cause me to shine more brightly every single day? And I'll be honest with you. I'm not someone who's like, yeah, I'm always so radiant. You know, I'm, I'm super high wattage lumens, you know. It's like every single day I have to battle like you do to keep my eyes on the Lord. It's a good fight that we fight because money woes and, and family stuff and work stuff and, you know, just waking up on the wrong side of the bed and all this stuff goes on. And if we're not careful, we get our eyes off of the Lord, right? And when we get our eyes off of the Lord, in a lot of ways like Moses, that radiance begins to diminish. And if, you, if you're here and you're, and you're hearing this and you're thinking to yourself, you know, There was a time when I was radiant. There was a time when I'd meet people and they're like, man, what is up with you? You're you're just so bright right now. In the book of Revelation chapter 2, Jesus writes to the church in Ephesus, same church that the apostle Paul planted and wrote his letter to the Ephesians to. And he says, look, you have all these things going on, but I have this one thing against you. You've left your first love. He's saying, look, you're doing all the right stuff, but your heart is not where it needs to be. And Jesus' counsel to them is first that you need to recognize from where you've fallen. And if you're here and you're saying, I used to be radiant, but I'm not anymore. That recognition is important. 
Because once you recognize from where you come, then what do you do? You repent. You turn back. And by turning back, it says that you should return and do the first works. So when you were radiant, what were you doing? Because know what I found? There are things that I do that either promote me shining brightly or diminish. What I find for most people is that at a time when they were radiant, they were in God's word. They were worshiping God. Not only when we had, have worship services, but all through the day, finding reasons to sing a song to the Lord. You are serving the Lord. You're saying, I'm going to live self-sacrificially in this world. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give of myself just as Jesus gave of himself for me. And I'm going to find such joy in helping other people. Right? And you were in fellowship with other people who were also pursuing God. Right? So, so you recognize from where you were, you turn back, you return, and you do the first works, and then you rejoice. And you know what the rejoicing is? is you start to radiate again. You start to reflect God's light and you start to experience the reality of who Jesus is. And then before you know it, you're shining bright and other people are shining bright. Every time you see someone, you're smiling, they're smiling. Everyone's like, why are you smiling so much? Like, man, Jesus is real. This is so cool. And it's weird, but it's not weird because you're so bright. Everyone's like, well, I don't know about that Jesus stuff, but that person's on something really good right now. You know? And, and I remember when I first got saved, I mean, kind of looking the way that I do, everyone always thought that there was drugs involved, you know? And I remember people were like, man, you, are you, what are you on? You're so happy. I'm like, man, I'm on the Holy Spirit, you know? Like, I haven't done drugs in a while, but God is good, you know? And what, what do they say at that point? They're like, oh, well. And I always be like, you want some, you know? <laughs> they get a little freaked out, you know? But it's like, I'll give you some, you know? But you want to be radiant, don't you? And see, the function of evangelism is to make people radiant because the only way for a person to shine brightly is to reflect the light of Jesus into the world. See, that old song that we sing with kids, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. It's not talking about the, the kid's own light. It's talking about reflecting the light of Jesus. And our culture says, oh yeah, just let your little light shine, little kid. No, no, no. A person does not self-generate light. We are designed to reflect the light. Just like the moon reflects the light of the sun, the moon doesn't self-generate substantial amounts of light. It's meant to be a reflector. Why? And that's exactly the way God made us. Jesus is the light. We're supposed to be reflectors of the light. But it's one of the functions of evangelism. If you look at the world and you say, man, people aren't bright. People aren't joyful. People aren't happy. You know how you fix that? Evangelism. With the message that Jesus is real. So we've seen reconnection. We've seen reconstitution, speaking of the church. We've seen radiance. And then, of course, the fourth R is that God wants to do a work in the area of relationships. Relational. And really what this speaks about is that God's design is to take what has been separated and bring back together. And as we've seen reconnection, we've been separated by God from our sin, and so we get brought back together through the work of Jesus, right? And then we have these ethnicities that are separated into tribes and clans and nations and and, and races with histories, and then we get reconstituted, right? 
And in some ways, we get separated from ourselves. And as we look into the light of the Lord, we have a radiance that comes because it's the Lord's radiance. And now we have interpersonal and societal relational healing. And really, this is all through the Bible. I mean, I think one of the most interesting places, if you want to turn to the uh, very last page of the Old Testament, uh, the book of Malachi, uh, chapter 4, it says uh, this in verse 6, or I'll pick it up in verse 5. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers. You see, part of the forerunner of the Messiah is to reconnect people relationally. And I think the most damaging part of a broken world is all the broken relationships. People who've been hurt by other people, families who have been severed and broken. And and you know how it goes, because we've all been there. We've all had all these experiences of what goes on when, when relationships start to break down. And we all know what it's like, why it happens, because pride comes in, you have uh, differing desires, and before you know it, people are setting up uh, arguments and trying to get people on their side. This is the way the world works. But one of the functions of evangelism is bringing people back together who've been divided. Why? Because in the forgiveness that we receive from Jesus, Jesus said, if you want me to forgive you, you need to forgive other people. See, forgiveness is so important because what goes on is that because Jesus has forgiven us, then we realize because God has forgiven me so great a transgression, I can forgive other people. And when you let people off the hook for the ways that they've hurt you and you remove the hook altogether, then you free them up to be able to be who they are and to be in process And now the world starts to come back together. Relationships start to come back together. See, I'm sure that there are many of you here right now, you have some pretty busted up relationships. And I can say that because God's doing a work in my life too. Relationships that have been severed for all different reasons. But God is saying, Daniel, I've forgiven you, so I want you to forgive them. No, it doesn't mean you let them hurt you in the same way again if they have a, a, a history of doing certain things that are horrible to you. you don't, forgiveness is not letting them keep doing it. Like I always tell it, it's not loving to them or to God to, let, to enable someone to hurt you over and over again in the same way. But you can still put boundaries up so that someone doesn't sin against God and you and themselves, but you can still forgive them. You can still love them right where they are although you don't allow them to function in a way that is detrimental to you and other people. See, God wants to take what is broken and he wants to unbreak it. And that's why, you see how I see it? I call it the holistic healing of the nations. Because it's not just about, okay, we get reconnected with God, it's all spiritual, it's done. No, it's spiritual, but then it's also ecclesiastical, right? It's also personal, and then it's relational. See, the, the cross of Jesus Christ actually fixes everything. 
Because it's the finished work of Jesus now in application into the world that we live in. You can't divorce the cross of Jesus Christ from the way that you interact with people. The way that you talk with your boss. The way that you talk with your employees. The way you deal with your teacher or other uh, classmates. The way you deal with your family, however crazy or well-adjusted they might be. You can't divorce the cross and Jesus from that if you're a follower of Jesus. It has to inform the way you deal with relationships. And what's amazing is, is when, by the time you make it into the New Testament, there is so much discussion about interpersonal relationships. Like you have slave owners and slaves. People struggle with that, but you have to remember this was not African slavery. I like to always say that slavery in the Bible Unless it's related to war and telling the story of something in the Old Testament, it always deals with when you work for somebody. Because people would become slaves when they had debts that they couldn't afford. They would link themselves to a wealthy landowner and work for them, and they could leave after a certain amount of time when they paid off their debt. And I'm like, that sounds like a good old-fashioned J-O-B, right? It's like you work there because you got bills to pay. You want to pay your mortgage or your rent. You want to get your groceries. and so. But the way employers and employees function within the people of God is through the cross. So as an employer, you don't oppress your employees. And as an employee, you do a good job as unto the Lord and your boss gets the benefit. How it functions in husbands and wives, right? Where we hear things like, husbands, you love your wife as Jesus loved the church and you die for her. And wives, you submit as unto the Lord. And as you submit unto the Lord, you submit to your husband who's loving you self-sacrificially so that you might be blessed. You have the way parents and children deal with one another. Again, all of it seen through the lens of what? The cross. Are you allowing the message of Jesus to inform all the ways you interact with people? That's why in the book of James it says, don't treat people who are rich differently than people who are poor. Why? Because when you do that, what you're saying is what you really value is money, not people. Or you really value people with status. That's your real God. And so all of these things get informed by the gospel. So when was the last time you thought, the reason I do evangelism, because if someone comes to know Jesus, it's actually going to fix all their relationships if they'll let Jesus do that. Everything changes. So there's a relational component. And when I think about relationships, I would like to say it this way, that, that of course... The key to relationships is that reconciliation. It's God bringing back together what has been divided. I don't know about you, but every single day in every single relationship, there's a chance for division or reconciliation. Why? Because everybody's in process. Everyone's got flaws. Nobody has a perfect day except for Jesus. So there's always the potential of water under the bridge, isn't there? In every relationship. It's like someone could be short-tempered, somebody could not do a good job, someone could let you down, all these things go on. So every single day, we say, Jesus doesn't quit on people. Jesus gives people room. Jesus is gracious when we fail. And all these things are designed to speak into our relationships. So we've seen spiritual reconnection, we've seen the ecclesiastical reconstitution of the people of God. We've seen this personal radiance, and we've seen this interpersonal, uh, relational reconciliation. And I have 
one final one, which I think is very unique, and that's the idea of restoration. And when we speak of restoration, I'm speaking ecologically or ecologically. I'm speaking about the fact that God's plan for all of creation is for it to be healed through the gospel message. You might be like, what? I remember when I first wrote this down in my notes, when I first started studying, I'm like, oh, really? But what's amazing is if you start reading your Bible, this is on every single page of your Bible. Let me give you an example of this. The seven days of creation, right? That, that poem of creation. What happens on the seventh day? Sabbath. God rests. Everything pauses. Aren't you amazed at how often the idea of the Sabbath rest comes up? Not only the rest for people, but the rotation of fields, that you work a field for six years, and then what do you do on the seventh year? You give it a Sabbath rest. Why? Now, I'm not a farmer. I'm definitely not an ecologist. I can barely even say it, you know. But what you... If you read about it, the reason you do that is letting it lay fallow for one year allows the soil to replenish all of its nutrients so that it can be more bountiful. God's plan for a good creation that he made was for it to be bountiful. But what does humanity do? It doesn't know how to do that. Why? Because instead of trusting in God, it trusts in the land. And so what did the children of Israel do? Instead of honoring the land Sabbath, they worked the ground, worked the ground. Why? Because they didn't trust God. And ultimately, God sent them into Babylonian exile for 70 years. Why? Because they skipped the seventh year land Sabbath for 490 years. And God's like, you owe me 70. My land needs to rest and be rejuvenated. And so he sent them into exile so that the land would rest again. See, what God is interested is the perfect working of all that he created. You know, in the Bible, this is the true definition of the word shalom, which we would use the word peace. I want to read you a quotation by a, a Bible scholar named Cornelius Plantiga. He said this, he says, we call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. The webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. It's a rich state of affairs where natural needs are satisfied and natural giftings are fruitfully employed all under the arch of God and in his love. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. See, and when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, not only did humanity fall, but all of creation fell with them. Remember in that garden, nothing died until what happened? Until an animal had to die to clothe Adam and Eve. See, The reason, and you read these things in the prophet Isaiah, is that they talk about there's a time when the lion is going to lay down with the lamb. 
And when the child is going to be able to play in the, in the serpent's hole. See, God didn't design this creation to function the way that we see on the nature channel. With predator animals and animals that are lower on the food chain. Where you have humanity exploiting creation unto the hilt. That's the way it functions because of the fall. But what you find is that when Jesus returns and sets everything right, the lion and the lamb are not enemies, and the lamb is not the lion's lunch. They coexist side by side. Where I have little children, if there's a snake hole, I'm not letting my kids play in there. If I'm in a, in a scary place, I mean, we have garter snakes around us. They can play with the garter snake all they want, you know. But if, if you're in a place where there are rattlesnakes or, or cobras and these things, you do not let your kids play there, right? Like where we live, you have coyotes sometimes. They come out and we're like, always make sure the dog's close, the kids are close, you know, not messing around with that. Why? Because those coyotes are not friendly. But that wasn't the way God designed this thing. Romans chapter 8 has some very fascinating ideas in it. I mean, it's a, it's a phenomenal chapter, obviously. But listen to what it says in Romans chapter 8, picking up in verse 18. It says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Do you hear what it says? It's saying that all of creation was subjected to futility, which is we see a broken creation every single day. But God subjected it in hope. And that the creation groans and labors with birth pangs for the revealing of the sons of God. See, really what God's plan is, and, and, and it is one of the functions of evangelism, is to start making the world that has been broken ecologically to start making it right again. And this speaks about the, the way we live differently because of our faith in Jesus. Like people all the time, they say to me like, oh, you know, you know who cares about recycling? I'm like, well, we should. Why? Because God told Adam to be the steward over his good world. And a good steward is not one that trashes the world. Jesus is real. Thanks for joining us today as Pastor Daniel finished this encouraging message about how a relationship with God will change your life. He reminded you that God is all about restoration. You heard that you can experience healing in your relationships as you choose to forgive others as God has forgiven you. Pastor Daniel shared that choosing reconciliation instead of division allows everyone to move toward wholeness together. Hey everybody, I want to invite you to join me in reaching people with the message that Jesus is real. Would you pray about partnering with us in the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio? Your support in this way helps us to keep sharing God's word and helps us reach more and more people. 
Thank you for considering partnering. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. I'd love for you to be part of the Crossroads Community Church family, but I understand some of our listeners can't make it to the actual church building. If that's you, come join us online. We live stream our Sunday morning services at CrossroadsChurch.net. So grab a cup of coffee and join us wherever you are for our time of worship and teaching. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel explains that Jesus wants to partner with you to share his love with the people in your life. You'll hear that Jesus uses regular people who have issues and struggles just like you to do extraordinary things. Pastor Daniel will encourage you to move past the fears that hold you back and let God use you as he reaches out to others with his love and forgiveness. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.